If a pollster asked you what you consider to be the leading, most fundamental human rights issue today, what would you say? There are, after all, many rights in contention, and many activists are speaking out to bring attention to them. But one transcends them all, and activism on that is not new. I'm Sheila Lagminas, and you're in the Forum. The civil rights issue of our time has been that for several decades now. Before this summer's social activism for human rights and recognition of dignity of another focus, Abby Johnson is here to talk about that longer campaign. You probably know her well by now. Most recently, she spoke at the Republican National Convention to a national audience, and that included the media tuned into all the speeches in what has to be a first for this kind of speaker and message. Abby worked for Planned Parenthood for many years, including clinic director until she left in 2009, just to give you the background if you don't know, and she joined the pro-life movement. She's author of Unplanned, the dramatic true story of, of a former Planned Parenthood leader's eye-opening journey across that lifeline. It was turned into a movie. Many of you saw that. Uh, it was a really phenomenal movie with a nationwide impact. Abby also founded the ministry, and then there were none, brilliant idea, to help clinic abortion clinic workers leave the abortion industry as she had. It seeks to end abortion from the inside out. I think that's brilliant. She founded the site and service chuckmyclinic.org, giving women information about abortion clinics across the country and reporting violations against them. And Abby, welcome. You are doing so much. Oh, thank you. It's always good to be with you. It's great to talk with you. And this is the first time to talk with you since the Republican National Convention. That had to have been a first for someone so openly and well-known popularly to be so uh, pro-life. And with a unique perspective, Abby, from having worked for Planned Parenthood in a clinic, the director of one, and then crossing that lifeline and becoming not only pro-life, but in, but in very public ways, it, the different marches and walks for life and doing the things you're doing and the ministry and all that. So you were well known for that, but to be on that stage at a nat one of the national conventions with the, all the media watching, what has been the reaction? You know, it, uh, it's been pretty amazing. I mean, we knew that there would be, you know, of course, a lot of attack. I mean, as soon as I accepted the invitation, my family, mm -hmm. we just started praying, um, you know, against spiritual warfare. We knew it would be there. We knew it would be coming. Um, we knew the attacks would be coming, but, um, honestly, the day after I spoke, I woke up the next morning and there were just hundreds and hundreds of emails Oh my God. and so many of the emails were people saying, you know, I've just never heard anything like that about abortion. And I've always just considered myself pro-choice. And after hearing your talk, I'm now solidly pro-life. Wow. I just, I didn't know that happened to the babies. I I've just never heard it. And and I, I've got to tell you, like, I'll take every attack in the world. I mean, for that to, because that's what this is all about, right? It's mm -hmm. about conversion. That's why right. I do what I do. That's why we all do what we do. That's that's what the pro-life movement is about. It's about conversion. And so people can throw whatever daggers they want to at me to know that that someone has gone from from being 
before the death of unborn children to now uh, defending their life, that's, that's worth everything in the world. It, it, it is worth anything we have to endure. And we have to endure a lot from people who do not either do not know, as you say, just do not know and very much believe what they say about reproductive rights and reproductive justice, not really knowing what abortion is, because unlike anything else done to human beings, that's the one that's unseen. Of course, it's unseen when there's mass genocide abroad and people, except those committing it, don't, don't see it unless the media somewhere somehow cover that. And, and yet, this is the other unseen one, the, the baby in the womb. You saw it on an ultrasound-guided uh, uh, abortion, and you talked about that. You talked about it that at the RNC in your, your brief but very powerful speech about watching that baby really fighting and struggling against that suction tube. And, and that, that had to have been so, – so I was going to ask you that. What, what were the lines or the, the things in particular that you said in that relatively brief but powerful speech at the RNC that all these people writing you the day after said in particular, as you said, the whole thing opened their eyes and gave them information they didn't have. But Abby, did some people point out particular things you said like that? I think there were two things. I mean, like actually talking about, you know, the baby fighting from the abortion instrument. I mean, that was one thing, but I think overall the most impactful thing I said, which this was actually totally ad lib, um, was when I talked about abortion, having a smell. Mm-hmm. I thought so. Um, and I I'd actually never said that before. Um, in any of my talks, I just, uh, well, I had said it actually one other time, uh, at a talk I gave in January at the pro-life summit after the March for life. And I, but I was up there talking and, you know, I had written out my whole, I had to write out the whole speech. It had to be under so many, you know, hundred words and I'd had to turn it in for approval and all of this, you know, and they put it on a teleprompter for you, which is very out of, I'm, that's very out of <laughs> sorts for me. I don't usually write down my speeches. I don't usually read them. Right. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm reading off this teleprompter and I had said, you know, I, I have, I have seen abortion, I have smelled abortion. And, and then I just, just sort of out of the blue, I just said, did you, you know, did you know that abortion had to smell? I mean, I it just, because I just thought to myself, I bet most people don't even know that. You know, know, Abby, sorry, just I don't want to step on you, but I want to say and interject right now that in watching you so closely, knowing you for so long, in watching what you said and how you said it, I caught that. I caught that when you said that, I've seen abortion, I've smelled abortion, and I I remember it very well. You paused. And you, well, you were already looking into the camera, but you looked into the camera differently. And I saw it come over your face that that was probably impromptu and had not been planned. And you looked at America and you asked, did you know abortion has a smell? And I thought that was so, uh, you're always genuine, but that I thought that had to have just come to her. Uh, And I think even those of us in the pro-life movement had never heard that before. Yeah, it was, uh, I really feel like it was just sort of a Holy Spirit moment right there. Like the Holy Spirit was like, ask that question because um, I feel like most people didn't know because even people were messaging me who have been pro-life their whole life. Mm -hmm. And they were messaging me and saying, oh my gosh, Abby, I, I didn't know. And then I was getting messages from women 
who had had abortions and they were saying, you're right. It did have a smell. Mm. And I, I remember, and I had not thought about that. And it was opening up another layer of healing for them. And that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, it, it was really, yeah, it it was sort of, I don't know. It was just a weird feeling when the Holy spirit just sort of dropped that on me and was like, say that, you know, ask that question. Um, so yeah, that, that seemed to be the most impactful thing, uh, that, that really just sort of spoke to people during my talk. Did you get what you expected would be the angry male or the angry attacks from Planned Parenthood or those in the abortion industry? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely, yeah, definitely got uh, a lot of, it was funny though, you know, they didn't really go after my talk. It was like, we're going to attack her for all these other things. You know, we're going to take everything that she said ever and take it out of context, or we're going to misconstrue what she said, or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, Abby doesn't want women to vote, which I, you know, I never said that, or it, it was like every other thing they could find. We're going to take that out of context. We're going to misread what she said. We're going to all of that, but it was like, they couldn't attack what I actually said about abortion. Mm-hmm. So it was like, they needed to distract from what I actually said about the barbarity of abortion. And they wanted to focus on everything else that had nothing to do with abortion, which wow, I sort of expected that as well. You know, um, there was a woman who, who was very, um, there, there were some articles, especially about the smell thing, um, that women were highly offended about the smell comment, women who are pro-choice. Right. Um, They didn't want to admit that. They didn't want, they didn't want to admit that abortion had a smell. It was almost like uh, it brought too much. It was like, no, that's too far. That's too barbaric, right? To admit that death has a smell. (laughs) Though it is. Though, I mean, though it's true. Though though it is true. And it is is barbaric. That's what I'm saying. It is barbaric. Yeah, but it was like, that was too far. It was like I'd gone too far. So they tried to justify it. Mm. So there was this this terrible Cosmopolitan article written, you know, and she's like, yes, abortion did have a smell. It, you know, smelled like the perfume the nurses oh wore gosh. in the room, you know, with me during my abortion and all this, you know, um, mm. which, you know, I responded and uh, to that. But it, it was just a, that's, it seemed to really offend them that I, I talked about the reality mm-hmm. of, of what that death smells like. Um, so that, that was interesting. It was sort of whatever, it was funny because my, my publicist, Christina, she said, whatever striking a nerve is, you've, you've gone a notch above that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. But you, but so honestly, and, and that gets to the point, Abby, I was thinking about this before we started talking for as many times as we've talked over the years, I was thinking about it this time on before this conversation in particular, that, that of all the people out there, and I just thought of just 
you know, an army of names and faces were before me in, in, in imagining this, that who can speak to pro-life issues, can speak to out, being outside an abortion clinic, can speak to the pregnancy help centers that proliferate around the country, far more, far outnumbering the abortion clinics, any number of experts, those in Congress who are actually taking the lead in, in doing something about it, you know, Congressman Chris Smith, uh, Whip Scalise uh, in mm -hmm. his, with his discharge petition, Senator Ben Sass, and many others. Uh, in thinking about all of these people, Abby, who can speak, and, and then um, Silent No More Awareness. I mean, everybody has a unique voice, but yours is so singularly unique because of directing an abortion clinic. All of this is evident and unplanned. I advise and urge anyone, strongly suggest anyone listening who has not seen unplanned, find a way to see it because and it's out there. You can tell people, Abby, where to find all that in your book. And we'll get to this in a moment, your new podcast. But they need, they need to see unplanned, to see how you speak to the both end. And that's what Planned Parenthood is not really used to in others, that, they, that someone who was in a clinic in Planned Parenthood and a director and one employee of the year winds up coming across the line to the pro-life movement and in a big, big way by telling the truth about all of it, but really in a, a very clear, clarifying way and in a way that is not attacking anybody. You just want everyone to be healthy and well and cared for and protected. And, and so then, you know, that's why they, they, they go after you for in other ways because you're telling the truth and you have that unique singular voice. On that note, you, um, you sent out a, e-letter e today to, and I'm on your list, and then there were none when you founded, and then there were none on that point. You left the clinic, started that, so that at the end, if, if you can get more, just to, just in, uh, invite and, and then be open to more abortion clinic workers leaving that business and coming across that line and welcoming them and telling them there is life for you after that work, and we can help you. It, it, do you hear from them, Abby, in greater numbers these days? And is the first contact with you, I'm really afraid of what will happen to me if I leave? Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of, it, it, it seems to come sort of in waves, uh, depending on the time of year. Um, I mean, which I guess sort of makes sense. Um, the, you know, summer... Uh, tends to be a little slower. Uh, the fall tends to pick up a little bit. Um, I think, uh, you know, Christmas time, that, that time seems to slow down a little bit. I think people are nervous about leaving their jobs around Christmas and, you know, um, but then the start of the year, it, you know, it sort of picks back up. I think I don't know, maybe people's new year's resolutions or mm -hmm. I got to get another job. I got to get out of this clinic, you know? Um, so, you know, a lot of times though, that first phone call is I I've got to get out of here, but I, I can't, I can't leave because I, I mean, how can I leave my job? I, mm -hmm. a lot of the workers that come to us are single parents. Um, they can't afford to leave their job and and not have money for rent or to put food on the table or whatever it may be. Um, and we don't ever want them to stay in a job that they recognize is, is evil mm -hmm. and is draining their soul um, just for money. I mean, money is money. 
and, and we can, we can help them with that. But, um, you know, we tell them like, you have to flee from that evil. And, and so that's what we help them do. And we help them transition out. We help them get counseling. We have a professional resume writer. We have, um, you know, uh, headhunters that help them with jobs. We have professional Christian counselors on staff um, that work with them through trauma and emotional issues. Um, We get them back, you know, we get them into a church environment. Um, You know, look, we want to help them get another job, but ultimately our goal is to get them into a relationship with Christ. So, you know, that's because we know that's where true healing and transformation comes. So we're right at about 600 workers wow. right now who have left and who have found that freedom and, and seven full-time abortion doctors um, who have wow. actually come through the ministry. So it's, you know, people ask me, Abby, what's it like? I mean, what's it like to walk down this road with an abortion clinic worker who leaves? What's it's lo- what, what is it like to be on the phone with a worker as they're leaving that clinic for the last time. And I tell people it's, it's like a miracle. I mean, that's, that's what it is. It it truly is. And in fact, when you talk about that and then bringing them into relationship with Christ, who is the true healer in your uh, newsletter today, you said earlier this month, we had one of our wonderful healing retreats where we bring in, so those who have left the abortion industry, the abortion work and the abortion clinics to join, and then there were none, you said from all over the country, in order to heal from all the things they experienced in the past working in abortion clinics, what happens, it sounds wonderful as you say it was, what, ha- what is this retreat like for the former abortion workers who have now left and come into, and then there were none? Well, it's an opportunity for them to really, um, you know, it's, it's hard work, right? Because they're, Mm -hmm. they're facing what they've done, but it's really an opportunity for them to release this shame that they've walked around with. Um, sometimes, you know, for many years, um, depending on how long they've been out of the clinic, um, and for them to, to, uh, experience a, a, a camaraderie, if you will, with other people who have mm-hmm. gone through the same experiences. It's sort of like a shared grief. Um, it's, there's a grieving process that they're going through as well. Um, and to understand that grief and to know that they're not alone, that they're not grieving alone, that their experiences aren't unique. Um, that nobody, they're not going to tell a story and have people look at them and gasp, um, that they're understood. And, uh, and that in itself is, is really healing for them. Oh, no, indeed. And, and there again is your unique position, which I was refer- referring to a little bit ago. You singularly, in your unique way, have the voice of someone for not only from the inside of an abortion clinic for Planned Parenthood, but an executive director, <clears throat> excuse me, for a while working there and knowing the inside of it and then coming out yourself, crossing that pro-life line and becoming pro-life. And one of the, the great um, advocates of life doing so much <clears throat> in such a public way. And, and that's why, Abby, what you do and say is, uh, is unassailable because you know it's true and Planned Parenthood probably knows it's true, though they would spin it, of course, to be all about 
reproductive rights, reproductive justice. How has that continued to carry enough influence in politics and in, say, big media in America and celebrityhood, but besides that, politics and media especially, so long, Abby, when so many Americans themselves, the citizens, the voters, I'll remind those listening, who are themselves turning up in poll after poll now more time and again as more pro-life. And even if someone self-identifies as, well, sort of pro-choice in this case, in that case, however, with restrictions, and I certainly don't want taxpayer dollars to pay for it, with so many Americans turning more pro-life, how does any abortion argument as reproductive rights or whatever still have such a hold? And how does Planned Parenthood have such a hold? You know, people have just been duped for so long. And I think the secular media has been really, they've been doing their bidding mm -hmm. um, for such a long time. And I don't, I mean, I think that people are, they're starting to wise up though. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really do believe that. I mean, I think that people are recognizing, you know, that maybe they don't need Planned Parenthood like they thought they did. Um, but I mean, look at, look at how the media protects Planned Parenthood. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, they, they, in Hollywood and, and these people who have never walked into a Planned Parenthood before, mm -hmm. right. But they're out there pitching them as if, as if every woman can't, as if we can't live without them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the general public is starting to sort of wise up um, to Planned Parenthood and that they really are sort of a scam, especially young people. Um, I, you know, I'm talking to, I talk to a lot of young people and, and even young people who are pro-choice, they'll tell me, I don't want to go to Planned Parenthood anymore because I'm tired of all of the political stuff that's pushed on me every time I walk in. You know, I just want to go there for my birth control or whatever, right? Which then I try to talk to them about birth control. But I mean, Good. they're, you know, they're just, they're like, I just want to go there for this. But mm -hmm. every time I go, they want me to sign a petition or do this or do that, you know? And it, they're getting tired of it. And, and mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood has just become this political machine. They're not even about healthcare anymore. And I think everybody's sort of, starting to understand that but the media won't give it up they they will not stop pushing them and pushing them forward what's in it for them the big big media what, what's in this for them being in league with Planned Parenthood for so long I don't even know I mean that's a great question I don't even know I mean it's not like they're getting money for I don't know if it's just this we have to we 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 couldn't have been wrong about them for so long. I, I don't even know. Because um, it's not like there's any incentive yeah. for, you know, these secular media outlets. It's not like they're getting paid by Planned Parenthood or anything. Um, you know, I don't know if it's just that these ties go back for so long. You know, they, they've had these ties for so long, the Rockefellers and, you know, all of these people that have been tied, this big money has been tied to Planned Parenthood for so long um, that it, it's just sort of a pride thing now that they just can't let go of it. 
Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just that Planned Parenthood is so incredibly tied up in every liberal agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Planned Parenthood is coupled, you know, they're in bed with the LGBT agenda with, um, you know, now with the Black Lives Matter agenda, they're, they're all partnered together. So I don't know that you can separate one from, from the other at this point. And that, and what you just said is why I opened with the civil rights issue of our time has for a long time now been this human life in the womb is the most vulnerable, the most unprotected, the most unsafe human life we have on the planet. There are all, all kinds of other people who are unsafe, people, people being trafficked, people in other places in danger of genocide on other continents. And well, this is a genocide in the womb. This should be the safest place for human life. So that has been the civil rights issue of our time, but it hasn't been we, the pro-life movement says that, but nobody, we, we can't lean on the media. We now have so many alternatives to it. And so you talked about in the beginning, conversion. This is a major thing about conversion. Uh, and that includes those in the media. There, to that point, Abby, there are some in the media, you, you know this better than I do. And I know it at least well enough to say that there are some who are Christians, some who are pro-life, and they're working in big media in some capacity, maybe producers or some other staff. Uh, I don't even know if anchors are, maybe some anchors are in, in TV news or whatever, but, or maybe writers on staff at print media, but they, but they are probably, a lot of them are actually uh, pro-life, but they, they won't maybe surface. And then in Congress, I know when Walter Hoy, Reverend Walter Hoy was on the program, from Issues for Life Foundation. He talked to me about being in Washington to talk to a lot of congressmen. He said, Sheila, I was on the elevator and one of the congresswomen got on with me and, and, and rode down and said, he, he said, she says to me, Walter, I know you're right, but I can't, you know, I can't change my vote. And, and she was making her case privately about the pressure on her. And then why uh, Congressman, Republican whip Steve Scalise hasn't gotten more signatures on his petition? Why Senator Ben Sass hasn't gotten that vote to even to a vote in the Senate to uh, Born Alive Abortion, uh, Born Alive Infant Protection Act? And he says, for crying out loud, this is not even about abortion. This is about a baby already outside the mother's womb and just protecting this unborn life. So that's why I ask. How can this not, not change when people see all of this, which gets to the conversion of, interestingly, you being, you being on that stage at the RNC was because this president who started to campaign back when he did in 2015, 2016, wasn't back then as a candidate in the early going all that pro-life, if at all, while a number of them were. Whereas now the Catholic uh, candidate in the Democratic Party says things about God and about protecting the vulnerable and his vice presidential ticket partner says things about protecting the vulnerable and especially, you know, those at the border and children in their mother's arms and so forth. And I think, wait a minute, take this to its logical conclusion. So what, in your mind, how do you see this? Because that was a conversion right before our eyes, of someone who got into the presidency and then has turned out these pro-life policies by listening to people like you, Marjorie Dannenfelser, Susan B. Anthony, so many others. Look, there was nobody more skeptical more skeptical of President Trump than than me, than Abby Johnson. <laughs> I mean, I was like, 
I remember when he won the primary, I was like, is this really what we're doing, America? I mean, like, <laughs> this this is what we're doing. Donald Trump. Like, okay. Like, I mean, I, I could not believe it, you know? Um, but we did it. And I have been so happy. I mean, I... I have been so happy to have been proven wrong. Mm -hmm. He has done amazing things for pro-life policy, for the unborn, um, for religious liberty. I mean, it, he's been phenomenal. And um, I've never been so happy to have been wrong. And it, yeah. I, I mean, and, and, and who knew? I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, some people did, but I, I didn't know. So... Um, you know, this is, this is, there's a lot on the line, mm -hmm. um, this election. And, and I think, you know, you're absolutely right to say that there are so many people who they are scared to, to be vocal about their, their position for whatever reason. But, you know, you've got Joe Biden out here claiming to be Catholic, claiming to be a Christian, claiming to care about the vulnerable, and it is confusing people. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's wrong. It's scandalous what he's doing. And so now more than ever, we need people of faith. We need Catholics. We need Christians to be out there proclaiming truth and saying, no, you cannot be a Catholic in good standing and be proclaiming that abortion is a right. No, that goes against the Catholic faith. Abortion is wrong. That is a core tenet of who we are as Catholics. It goes against the magisterium of the Catholic church. I mean, we need people speaking that clearly when they are out talking to people. Um, and, and, and clearing this confusion that is out among Catholics, that is out, uh, you know, just in our, in our culture today, we need to be speaking what we believe and what our faith teaches as clearly as possible because there is so much scandal out there and there are so many people like Joe Biden, like Nancy Pelosi, out there claiming to be Catholic and pro-abortion. And that, you cannot be both. So we need to be very clear about what we believe. And, and as you say, speak, speak about it, which that's what I wanted to wrap up with is the importance of this election as is always, they all are. Some people even joke about how every single election cycle people say in the media, this is the most important election of our life. Yeah. Kind of hard to see how this time it's not with what's going on in the streets. We didn't really talk much about that, but it's the, when we look at civil rights and in the early going of this summer's, the summer of discontent, as they say, this is worse than that mob violence is happening on a lot of places and when you know when when in the early going when anyone in the pro-life movement would practically anyone would say you know of course black lives matter all lives matter there 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 were charges of co-opting that particular movement you can't do that well you we're all about all life this is all life but anyway that's that's why this is so very important 
this election, as you say, in electing leaders who truly are all about all life, all God's children, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, and many Democratic candidates today talk about that. And at the same time, they don't really mean it when they stand for abortion, but they don't go there. So that's why when you say we need to be speaking what we believe, this election is so important to number one, vote. But before we get to voting day, polling, you know, voting day in the polls, Abby, what should, how can people speak what they believe in ways you would urge them to do and find your materials to shore them up with more resources? Where can they find Unplanned, the book, the movie, and, uh, and Then There Were None website, and now your new podcast? Yeah, so um, they can go to probably the easiest place to get everything is um, at my website, abbyjohnson.org. Um, they can find my book. They can find information, resources, Great. information about uh, my ministry. And then there were none. The direct website to, and then there were none is abortionworker.com. I do have a new podcast that's out. Um, we're only two episodes in. It's called Politely Rude with Abby Johnson. <laughs> and uh, and it is, my husband always says I'm politely rude. So that's, that's what we went with. Um, and, uh, it is, it's all over. It's on edify. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's on Google. It's, it's everywhere. So you That's can great. find that. Well, so good. Abbyjohnson.org, abortionworker.com and uh, politely rude with Abby Johnson, put that in whatever you use out there to download podcasts because it's that important. And uh, I, I want you to share all of this with your social media, all of you out there listening, because this is this could not be more important. Abby, you know, we see, we believers see these moments in time when direct the direct hand of divine providence has brought things about in such a way. And that's you on the stage at the Republican National Convention being the first time ever at something like that, that someone of your profile and background is given that national platform to talk about the, the life in the womb that is so vulnerable and in need of protection. And the fact that that human life is there, but also Abby, to protect the women and to protect the, the, the health of the mothers and the women across the country who go into those abortion clinics, because it's not just one, it's a both and, and you talked about that as well, the babies and, their, and the women. And that's what we've got to do is talk about that protection, the life that already exists in the womb, the things that you said people wrote you the day after. I didn't know that until I heard you at the RNC give your speech. I didn't know those facts. We sometimes lose track in the pro-life movement of what people don't know and because we know it. And so we have to keep speaking it as you do. So thank you so much for your time here. I'm so glad you have that podcast. Yeah, and uh, I don't know how you fun. get it all done. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how you get it all done, but um, thank God you do. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. It's always always good to chat with you. You as well, Abby, and God bless you with all the work you do. A lot of people don't know you have a lot of children. <laughs> and <laughs> and at, at one of the, uh, I think, West Coast Walk for Life, you were one of the women on stage, all of you pregnant, quite, quite far along, using the ultrasound machines amplified by speakers all over the place so that everybody within hearing, within earshot could hear the heartbeats of your babies. Yeah. And I thought that was yeah. a brilliant idea. Yeah, it was fun. That was a lot of fun.
Well, you do a lot. That's very creative and very important. Abby Johnson, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Sheila. God bless you. That's all for now. It's great spending time with you. Thanks for tuning in. I ask you to share the link and invite others to join us here in the forum. Thank you.